Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good afternoon. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, I'm joined on the show by Ian Carlos. Ian is the partner at Warehouse 4 in Alcuz, Dubai. Warehouse 4 attracts world's leading brands to host everything from workshops for uh, uh, 30 people to major product launches and regional conferences for audience in their hundreds. Prior to opening Warehouse 4, Ian and his partners had spent 25 years working in broadcast TV with brands, household names that you'll know of, such as MTV, ESPN, Star TV, etc. Today, we will discuss the new offering, Live from Warehouse 4 initiative, and also what a career in broadcast TV is like, uh, and what the future holds in these current times for the events entertainment industry. To ha- uh, great to have uh, Ian's views. Ian, welcome. Thank you. 25 years, I should change that. It makes me sound old. <laughs> <laughs> Experienced. Uh, yeah. 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 Dress it up a little nicely. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Well, you know, like, um, it's nice to have experience in this day and age. It counts for something, oh, as, you, as you've shown uh, with your recent kind of offering at Warehouse yeah. 4. So how did, um, how did Warehouse 4 come about? Um, so my ex-wife was in the event industry and I kept hearing from her that there was a lack of alternative spaces to hotel ballrooms. Um, and certainly ones of any decent size. There were some very small spaces for like 10 or 20 people, but certainly nothing for a few hundred. Um, and I think I was sort of just getting a little tired of video production and television at the time as well. So I was looking for something new Yeah, and I just thought, well, you know what, it could probably serve both really couldn't they it could be an event if i look for somewhere that could be an event space and double as a as a studio yeah then you know but in the end it just ended up being a um, an event space so that's really what started it so so it's it's interesting so it's kind of like in any industry in dubai uh people see things that aren't really there they hear of things whether it's food or whether it's sports and you did the same in the in a kind of a creating space yeah very much so i think look once once i looked into it i was actually quite surprised at just how many alternatives there were to hotel ballrooms uh very very few i mean there were really? a few in al sakal um but even the ones that were uh, there tended to be art galleries yeah. or white walls uh, very bland offerings or, or things that were kind of doubling up as something else and then if there was a bit of downtime they'd push in a few events. What sort of year was that? That was... When you... Two, oh, crikey, hold on, we're now 20, about 2014. I started looking at that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Now, I remember in a company I was with before that, and whenever we had events that could have been at Warehouse 4, it had to be at a hotel ballroom, like you <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they just weren't spaces. And no. If, and if there were spaces, they weren't event spaces, they were just empty Yeah. Uh, Commercial real retail, uh, commercial uh, rental yeah, spaces. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So now I already understand a little bit about it. Yeah. Were you, were you in Dubai before that, Ian, for how long? I was. I've been here nearly 18 years. So I arrived here in 2002. Um, I came over to here to work for a company called 10 Sports, yeah. which was a, a new uh, sports broadcaster, primarily, um, primarily cricket when it started, but very quickly morphed into a general sports mm. uh, broadcaster. Uh, primarily for the subcontinent. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, which has since been bought out by, um, I think, Sony bought it in the end. Yeah. yeah. So I had this. So for people who aren't familiar with the kind of production TV broadcasting, 
how would you kind of describe the industry, uh, the ecosystem, how many players there are, and how things work a little bit here in this region? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, you've got the you've got your your big guns like the NBCs, and then each of the obviously each of the countries in the region has their own national broadcaster. Um, there's a lot out there, particularly in the if you just go scroll through your satellite channels mm-hmm. and just see how many channels there are. Yeah, I don't know how they're sustainable. I'm not sure that they are. Many of them tend to be vanity channels or a side offering to something else. Yeah, there's certainly not the commercial value okay. in that many channels that there are out there it's kind of changing because of the business model because of streaming because of digital yeah i think so look i mean you've seen you've seen quite a few people move online i mean you've probably all seen recently um osn has now finally finally you know pushed their offering online instead of uh, you know via instead of you know the normal traditional route yeah um but the guy it took him a long time to get there but it is, it's it's the way everything's gone it's the way everything's gone but so if they work with, how would you have worked with them? Do they, uh, if they create their own TV shows, do they generally work with in-house specialists or companies like you? Or how does that work? The market's a little bit different here in that, uh, or it certainly was when I was in the thick of it, in that there's not that many opportunities for external production houses or freelance producers, executive producers to go and pitch shows. A mm. lot of the content a lot of the content that was being made or programs that were being made were made in-house. The networks for the longest time, and I think some of them still are, were somewhere where we were in the West sort of 15, 20 years ago, which was everything was done in-house. Mm. So your producer, cameraman, et cetera, et cetera, your production staff that could be working on a sports program one week, the next month could be working on a, a period drama. Okay. You know, and that was the way they obviously amortized cost, et cetera, et cetera. But in the West now, I mean, that model's very much gone. For example, take the take the UK, for example, the BBC. It's very much now all third-party people coming in, um, shows being produced specifically for the BBC, uh, and you're only really in a job for, or you only have a job for as long as that show That's is true. on air. If they don't renew the show, well, then, okay, next company or next program comes along. Okay, so they would be known as kind of independent production Yeah, companies. absolutely, yeah. Are but they- that opportunity... Hmm. It was few and far between here. Okay. And are they, uh, is there a difference between them and someone who might make a TV commercial or can you do both in your, in your time? Uh, they're two very specific hmm. uh, disciplines. I, there are people who've gone on, I mean, look at Ridley Scott. He started in commercials and then went on to make some absolutely yeah. fantastic films, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying that there, there can't, there can't be crossover. There is. Okay. But generally speaking, I think, um, Certainly, if you're doing television programming, um, you tend to stick to that. And mm. if you're doing commercials, you tend to stick to that. They're yeah. very, very uh, different disciplines. And then for, if for young graduates who are studying media, would they, if they want to be a producer or something like that, is it, again, a different choice? I think it's really hard for, really for hard. people coming through right now, yeah. I mean, look, I, I was lucky in that I, I, I've talked about this with a lot of colleagues who've been in the industry for about the same time as I have, which is, like I say, about 25 years now. And I think we were probably one of the ones that the last sort of batch that were lucky enough to work, to be able to work for a big broadcaster, mm. to be able to come in at the bottom, you know, making tea or, you know, well, back then when everything was on tape, you know, running tapes from department to department. Yeah. And, but then what that gave you was you were surrounded by the whole ecosystem. Mm. So you were able to sort of like, oh, I'll just go and watch what the ca- this camera guy's doing for half an hour. Okay. Yeah, oh, and then I'll go back and do my job again. Oh, I'll go and look at graphics. Or I'll, okay. you know. And I think that, that opportunity for training and learning doesn't exist now. 
because the broadcasters generally these days are a lot leaner. Mm. Um, training, training is a luxury for mm. not just for broadcasters, but for most companies. Mm. Not enough money is ever spent on training. Yeah. Um, so I think for people to get uh, experience these days is a lot tougher. Okay. And and now you're seeing, you know, obviously over the years as well, um, you know, the, the, the dropping cost of things like equipment, for example, mm. is great. Then it's in that it's de democratized the whole process, so that now more people can have a go. I mean, if you can imagine when I started, a camera was something like $42,000 mm. and that was without a lens. Oh, wow. So you were very much going, oh, do I buy a camera or buy a house? <laughs> wow. And now you can get a camera for a few thousand dollars, yeah. right? Broadcast yeah. quality. Yeah. So that's helped tremendously. But I think what, what you're missing with that now is the opportunity to learn. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So just talking a little bit more about some of the brands that we mentioned. So ESPN and... And you mentioned cricket and sports. Is there a difference between doing a sports show, whether live or uh, and um, a series show, or how did you do both? I've not done much scripted drama. No, most of my experience has been in music and television, uh, yeah. music and, and sport. So um, yeah, I mean, there's a big difference. I mean, look, the the tools are pretty much the same, but obviously how you use them uh, and the discipline is very is very different. Okay, um, you know, live sport by its definition you know you have to get everything right on the day and if you don't whoops okay i'll learn from that and then we'll make it we'll make sure we don't make any mistakes the next time <laughs> i think with drama you've obviously got the chance to do it over and over again okay. so there's that there's that sort of flexibility with it um to a certain degree obviously you can't spend all day on the same take can you because you've still got a budget to meet and <laughs> deadlines to yeah meet. um but yeah they are they obviously are different so yeah. again i think people tend to specialize if you're into live sport you tend that's where your career tends to go mm. i'm generalizing people obviously have made leaps across the divide yeah but um yeah if you're into live sport you tend to stay in live sport and yeah. similarly if you're into scripted drama you tend to stay in scripted drama interesting um yeah we play around a little bit with news and i always feel that the closest thing to news might because it's live in real time mm. you know and when we come in in the morning we're thinking about the news then mm that's closer to live sports. Whereas for us personally, the creativity and the, the time needed to make a series or a show is mm. almost a different headspace and a different sort of... It is. I mean, there's very, yeah, there's different requirements. You, you, you know, when you've got, um, obviously when you've got a live event, your deadline is dictated by the event. True. So you're really, you know, if you're not there and if you're not ready, whoops, you know, <laughs> people are going to notice. Whereas I think there is a little bit more flexibility. Well, there is more flexibility with with scripted programming. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're not ready, yes, okay, you don't ever want to have to change a shoot schedule or anything. But, if, I mean, if it's a case of, you know, uh, shooting something that's actually you're not going to be able to use for whatever reason mm. versus you know moving the dates then clearly you're going to move the dates i mean there'd still be questions asked as to why you messed up and have to change the dates <laughs> you know you should have got it right in the you first should, place you should have been ready to shoot when you, been when you see yeah, exactly, <laughs> when you said you were going to yeah in we joke beforehand about being in front or behind the camera yeah like how how many times did your role change behind the camera is there a difference between a director producer a cameraman or do you acquire all those skills over a career? Yeah, very much so. I mean, there, there's less delineation these days. I mean, you know, we're we're well into the era now of things called predat predators, for example, which was producer, director, and editor. Okay. You know, so very much wearing three hats. Yeah. Um, when I started, no, it was very much you had a producer, 
you had a, um, a director, you had an editor. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, the director or the producer would sit in on the edit. You wouldn't just leave it to the editor. But um, okay. But now those those lines have become blurred a lot, which again is good in in some instances. Mm. It's like jack of all trades, master of none. Okay, interesting. You know, yeah. you know, I've got friends of mine who are purely just cinematographers. Mm. That's all they do: DOPs, director of photography, yeah, camera, lighting camera, and they're damn good. At it. They're good. Yeah, because yeah. they've had, you know, by now they've had a similar amount of experience to me. Yeah, and when you can just focus on one thing, of course, along the way you pick up other skills as well. Yeah, but um, but now, yeah, the the roles have merged a lot. And what about technology? At, at that time, were you becoming an expert in the cameras and, and the equipment that you need? Are you are you going you, to conferences to you, buy them? Look, you learn. I start. I mean, when I started, I was very lucky. I knew what I wanted to do since the age of twelve, mm. and then and then very early in my career, I knew I wanted to start off as a as a video editor, which is what I did. Mm. And my logic for what for that was. If I'm sat in front of a screen, I can see in front of me without even leaving the room who's a good soundman, who's a good cameraman, who's a good lighting yeah. you know, director, who are good actors, who's good hosts, for example. I can see all that in front of me. Yeah. I knew I wasn't probably going to sit in the editor's chair forever. I knew I would eventually one day swap to the producer's chair or the director's chair. So I just thought that's a great starting point to learn from. Okay. Uh, and it's largely paid off. Interesting. Yeah. What's the proudest thing that you've worked on? What do you think was the best product or the best TV? Oh, God, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't nail it down to a specific program. I think the most exciting things I've worked on. I've been part of four startups now, um, network startups, and mm. I think those are the really exciting ones to work on. I like the the chaos at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. and that you have to forge everything. I mean, you've done it with, the, the with this business. You've built it up from nothing. I love that. There are people who don't like that. There are people who like walking into established structures where everything works and they know exactly where they fit in the wheel. I, I like getting in at yeah. the beginning. I think I was employee number. I was employee number six for ten sports. Yeah. So you know when I arrived, when I first came for the interview, they hadn't put the roof on the building. <laughs> it didn't uh, put you up. Yeah. Then when I came back, thankfully the roof was on the building. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it was one specific program. I would say it was just being the creative. Part of, yeah, being yeah. part of those startups. Interesting. Like setting up MTV in the Philippines, that was a great experience. Wow. Um, Ten sports here, um, and I was also part of Star TV way back in the early nineties, um, at the very beginning. Uh, interesting. And uh, and what do you think? makes a good tv show is it obviously a combination of things but it, do you think there's a process or is there a bit of creativity and magic uh, and that's a really broad question i think a bit of everything mm. you have to have obviously experience creativity uh, good good technical people uh, it all comes together i used to joke well i still do not joke that's probably the one word i still sort of marvel sometimes at uh, our industry contrasted with, say, event, the event industry. Lots of moving parts in all industries. Mm. Um, what I've noticed in my, I mean, I've only been involved in events for three or four years, but what I have noticed is that in the production industry, all those moving parts seem to know where, well, they do know where they should be at any given time and they know what they're doing. Mm. In the event industry, it's like herding cats. Mm. <laughs> it just seems to be a okay. lot more of a, a disparate rabble that you're trying to get together to be in the right place at the right time. <laughs> and it's like, you're doing that? No, you're doing it. Uh, really? It's like, you haven't worked this out already? <laughs> and uh, that's the big difference that yeah. I've noticed there, yeah. 
and but just on the uh, TV production side, do you look at say the UK uh, TV channels or channels here in the US, and do you kind of see a show and say, wow, the thing that ma- has made that good is the cinematographer, or the production, or uh, you know the casting director, or are you picking out things like that? I, I'm not very critical when I when I watch television. No, I I I can quite easily switch off and just be the the viewer at home and enjoy it and get swept along with whatever it is I'm watching, whether yeah. it's, you know, whether it's live sport, you know, a, a music or a drama. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously there's times when you, there's, there's obviously times when you look at something like you see a, I don't know, a super long tracking shot and you just go, oh, right. and you have a think and you go, how did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the moments that you yeah. sort of, where I kind of go, hmm, okay. <laughs> or maybe there's something, yeah, particular in the way that a scene has been lit or something like that yeah. or if i'm watching live sport and you you know you do sort of go oh god there's a lot of cameras across this yeah or conversely oh they didn't put much effort into this one did they it's just <laughs> one camera going like this <laughs> so those yeah, are the things that i noticed but i'm not terribly critical, not critical. so talking a little bit in about the streaming industry mm. uh, that's happened and you know particularly one point of it in terms of choosing content we hear uh you know say what made Netflix is switching to original, and we talk about, say, House of Cards, but then you hear a, a counter into or an opposite argument to that, and saying that it doesn't, they said that it doesn't matter what movie they put on, that people will watch any average movie on Netflix and, and things like that. Is are you know, another way of asking if Apple TV, uh, they hired the guy from HBO, Richard Shepard, to choose all their shows. Do you think that these? people and is this a crucial talent role in streaming now to, to make the shows to choose the right things yes definitely um i mean look at uh, what was the what was the little what's the one that just died recently the um, where they were making six minute programs oh quibi yeah quibi. quick bites yeah yeah i mean look at the talent that was behind that mm. um, i think wasn't it a disney somebody wasn't it yeah jeffrey katzenberg yeah and meg whitman yeah and so you know you look at that on paper as a lot of investors did and thought mm. would have thought yeah this has got a good chance <laughs> yeah look <laughs> where that work. ended up yeah even yeah. with the best talent uh, i'd say the other side of that is though at the moment is that um i think marketing has become nearly as important as the actual shows themselves. You can have the best show in the world if nobody knows it's out. It's out there, mm. and they can watch it. Mm. You know, put you the noise. Yeah, yeah. and and, this, and as you know in your business, that there is so much noise. Yeah, is that a so, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So trying to trying to be you know trying to get on top of that. Yeah. Um, you know, week in week out. Yeah, it's tough. And just before we move back to the event space, last question around. Mm. Streaming. How do you see the the sports streaming uh, industry playing out? Do you think, uh, especially in the current uh, age that we're in, that there's not as many sports on? But do you think that we will all be subscribed to choices of sports channels, or is there going to be? Uh, yeah. How how do you see that happening? Live and streaming together. Yeah, it's that's a really interesting one. Certainly, the live sport in the in the streaming arena. Um, I know uh, Facebook. Have ventured into that recently. A very good friend of mine uh, is currently uh, head of sports acquisitions uh, for Facebook. Okay. So listening to the con- listening to some of the you know conversations he has around uh, you know where fa- Facebook is wanting to go in that in that direction interesting. is interesting. I think um, I think it's inevitable. 
Um, I think what streaming has allowed you to do is it's allowed some of the, certainly the smaller sports to be more visible. Mm. Like if you, for uh, let's pick something, for example, if, you, if you're a, a fan of Barnsley Football Club, you know, they don't get, they're never going to get any primetime television. Are they your club? No, they're not. No, no, I'm just trying to think of some really obscure random, northern yeah. town, random northern town. So Barnsley, yeah. Who won't get much coverage. Yeah, yeah, a good friend of mine is maybe, a Barnsley supporter. Yeah. Maybe Manchester United fit that bill at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, but, but then you look at the bigger clubs and the reason I didn't pick the bigger clubs is because you look at, say, I mean, so a lot of the bigger clubs have had their own channels for a long time. Mm. So that avenue, because of money, that avenue has been open to them. But I think now, you know, going back to what I said earlier about just the the, the the, the cost of the of getting into the business now in terms of all this, the lights, camera, and et cetera, it makes it really accessible. Mm. So the smaller sports federations, clubs, et cetera, can now have a, you know, a setup like you've got here. Um, and there is an opportunity for them to reach their audience. You know, if you're a lifelong Barnsley supporter, you actually don't mind if it's just one camera panning left and right, you know, because you're <laughs> watching true. your team. That's okay? true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're prepared to sort of live with that sort of lesser production quality because you're able to <laughs> see your team, whereas previously you weren't unless you actually went to the game. So I think that opens up a lot of opportunities for the smaller uh, sports um, and obviously, you know, if you're a big player, then you can really jump in and capitalize on that as well. Yeah, yes, it's, you're so right. I was watching in uh, Blackburn Rovers recently. Yeah. They're my football club. Yeah. And I subscribe to iFollow. I only pay for that stream. Yeah. But this particular game, usually they have two fans commentating. And I like it because they, they only talk about the Blackburn players. Yeah. They don't know the Swansea players. <laughs> but for this particular game at the weekend, there was no fake noise and there was no commentators. So I was watching, I, I just, I did a, a quick video of it because it was so bad. Surreal. Like, yeah. yeah. It was like, not only could you hear the fans, but there was no commentary. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but I still paid but to you still stream watch. it. Exactly. <laughs> so point proof. Yeah, so they've, they've now got revenue, whereas they wouldn't have otherwise. They wouldn't have it yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Interesting. So what do you make of, uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about the current offering at Warehouse 4 uh, and what, how you've come up with this sort of like, well, we look. I mean, we did what I think a lot of everybody, a lot of other people have done uh, because of the whole situation with COVID. And I hate using the word, but I, I don't know of another one. I can't think of another one. We had to pivot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Look, for me, it was quite an easy one. I mean, I, I'd stepped away from production about when we started Warehouse Four. Um, I think I was a little burnt out at the time, and anyway, I stepped away for it to focus on Warehouse Four. Um, obviously, with no events happening. We've had nine months of the venue, by and large, sat there empty. So, um, I mean, luckily for me, a few of my old clients from before started calling up and saying, can you do some live streams for us? Mm. So I did. And then you're just thinking, hold on a minute, I'm sat in here. I'm sat with a fantastic venue here. Mm. Um, I've got a cupboard full of equipment as well, as well that's already there yeah. from when we had before. It was just kind of like... Okay, well, that's easy then. Let's just Amazing. do more live streaming. Yeah. So um, that's really how that came about. Yeah. And the, the offering that you do. So for people who've been on a Zoom conference or a Hopin conference in the last few months, I think mm. everyone's been on a few. Mm. I was I was just on, um, I think uh, there's one happening today. I just signed up for Seamless. Like, there's just so many of them oh, at the moment. The, yeah. And most of them are horrendous. <laughs> in, yeah. in what way? Just in the production. I yeah. mean, just, you know, I think... Uh, Look, I mean, they're a necessity, and I think if you're if you're you know for a business meeting and things like that, they're fine. Then that does you know 
then Zoom does what it says on the tin. Yeah. I think when you're trying to adapt that for a more of a, a broadcast environment, then the challenges start to creep in. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many how many Zoom calls have we been on where the person's got their laptop down there and all you're doing is looking up his nose <laughs> and, and at the ceiling above, you know. Right at the top of his head. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that, those are where the yeah. challenge. All the audio is terrible. You're like, oh, yeah. So this is interesting because I think people started that way and then they go, there has to be something better. And then maybe that's why they looked at people like you because I think what I noticed then was there was a hybrid. Yes. The, the production was as good as a normal TV or a normal stage production, except the viewers were online. But the set, the cameras, the presenter is at the venue. Is this what you were doing? Yeah, look, I think I think this is where the benefit of experience comes in. If you've if you've had a lot of experience, certainly in production before, you kind of know where your camera angles need to be. You know how your lighting needs to be. Uh, you know what equipment you need. You know what you know. You know your, your guy needs to be mic'd properly, yeah, um, and not just rely on the laptop mic. So, and those are the real basics. And I think this is this goes back to what I was saying earlier. I, I think for a lot of people coming trying to get in the industry now, there's not an opportunity to learn the basics. It's very much oh, I'll go out, I'll buy the kit, and I'll just learn on the job. Mm. And I think that uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, some people learn faster than others. Some mm. people don't seem to learn at all. But, um, yeah. but I think it's a slower path okay. than if you're able to watch somebody or ask them, you know, how did you do that? Yeah. Oh, this is, oh, that's how you do it. Okay. Yeah. And like the things like um, the extra equipment, knowing how to get, say, a few hosts on a stage. Uh, imagine if we were having this conversation now and it was live uh, and we had a guest coming in, mm. then you would know that we need different things than this. We need a talkback system. We need different things. Are they the things that people aren't thinking of right now? Yeah, depending on the yeah, depending on what they're what they're trying to achieve. Yes, mm. absolutely. Mm. Look, I think you can you can also get away with with a lot. Um, I don't think I think if you again if you go back to covering the basics, if you do the basics very well, you can very easily lift up uh, something that looks very below par to something that looks that you look at it and go. Oh, I don't have any questions about that. Yeah. Or I'm not suddenly going, oh my God, what did they do with that? Yeah. You know, I think that's relatively easy to do if you get the basics right. And the people coming to you to do their live events at uh, Warehouse 4 now, what's their knowledge of streaming? Do they uh, really have to be handheld? Yeah. No. Well, I think their, their, their knowledge of streaming is... Uh, Our live it, events. Yeah. It, well, certainly on the live event venue, it tends to be their knowledge of or their expectations of streaming tend to be... Oh, just one camera at the back of the room, and and, and that's all you see. Yeah, um, it can be very different. Look, I think the diff the thing with streaming is, and this is what we try and and, and say to the clients is, you know, would you watch this at home? You know, and if the answer is no, then you need to go back and you you're only as good as your content. Yeah, you know, if you've got and there's and there's lots of little ways that you can a actually add to the process. Yeah, Ooh, phone's good. <laughs> um, so. Uh, just turn that off. There's something. There's a rookie error. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, any of my colleagues watching that now. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Okay. Um, That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, there's lots of ways that you can up the up the value just a little bit. Okay. And okay, it's interesting. It's kind of something I was thinking about earlier in terms of content. Uh, you know, the right presenter, the right. Uh, I've watched some shows where people are building TV stations and they just know a presenter is really good. Do you think like an anchor and a presenter can really carry a show? Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, I did a lot of work with presenters when I was working for MTV, and I think mm. you know, I have this. I have another colleague who's here in Dubai with me, 
who used to be my EP at MTV. Mm. And both of us sort of laugh these days in that um, just in, I guess after a while you kind of, I can listen to someone for 30 seconds or a minute and know whether you've got something to work with or not. Okay. I don't need any more than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very much so. I mean, they can, they can, if you've got a bad presenter, then you're you're on a, you're making life hard for yourself from the very beginning. What, what do you think makes a good presenter? Another very broad question. But it is. Oh, crikey. I don't, um, look, I was going to say confidence first up and I think, and I will stick with that one. Um, but then again, I've seen lots of confident people who are fantastic face to face without the camera. Mm. And as soon as you put them in front of a camera, they're like deer in the headlights. Yeah. Um, so confidence is definitely is in there, but it's not sort of it's not the overriding thing. What mm. else? Um, oh, well, clearly you're not going to be afraid of the camera. Mm. Um, what else? I don't know if there's one thing you you obviously have to have. I think you have to have an appetite for it. Mm. I think you know. I used to think presenters were a little bit narcissistic. Okay, um, and some are. <laughs> uh, do you but, think they grow into it and they can change and mature over time? Or would you know, like, if someone's talented? I think you've got a knack for it. I think, that there, look, there's, there's presenters that I've come across in the past who, within the first 60 seconds, you know, okay, I can work with that. Yeah. And they go on to better and better things. I think there's other presenters that I've, that I've come across as well where you kind of go, okay, they just need a little bit of polishing. They need a little bit of for example a little bit more time in front of the auto queue mm. um just getting used to that um particularly if you're in a live environment i think one of the hardest things for presenters is they have the, the earpiece mm. so and then the in their ear they're listening to often a director and or a producer um so i think you know having somebody talk to you in your ear while you're talking to the camera as well yeah uh, is a, a skill conflicting information. yeah it's a skill <laughs> yeah. and i think that um again mm. something like that you just need practice at again okay. some people take to it quicker than others some yeah pe some people are very much able to sort of you know filter out the noise and only yeah but but some of that is also the bit down to the experience of the people in the in the booth as well in the in the in the production booth because you know you know when to talk to a presenter and when not to yeah you know so and there's some there's obviously times that are better than others <laughs> like an ad break uh, so yeah. uh, so it does sound like a lot of this stuff <laughs> overlaps to what you're doing now have you enjoyed being back into yeah it? massively i mean it is just like falling back into what we were doing before i mean the yeah. only difference is is the platform is that we're just live streaming rather than actually making a a pre-recorded uh, a pre-recorded show yeah so uh, and again I think a lot of clients at the moment, they want to do the live stream, but then uh, a lot of them kind of... They fall back and pretend it's live stream pre-recorded. They do. Or they'll do a little bit of hybrid. They'll pre-record a lot of elements um, and then just do the key bits live, yeah. uh, which cuts down on the risk. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this goes back to what I was saying about content. You know, not everything has to be live. I yeah. mean, there's lots of things that you could be doing to enhance whatever it is you're doing, like pre-recorded bits, mm, mm. you know, and again, not all of them have to be, you know, have to be sort of Game of Thrones in, mm. in stature. It could be just that you've sent a cameraman out uh, and got an interview with a, I don't know, a, a key person. Uh, and when you're talking about it, like we are, let's say, oh, let's see what, uh, you know, Joe so-and-so had to say about this. Mm. And then you roll in that piece of content. Yeah? yeah. Okay. So I think those are the things that we're trying to encourage our clients to look at. It doesn't, everything that you're, 
that you're doing in your live, live stream doesn't necessarily have to be revolve around what is in front of you at that particular time. Yeah. Look at what content you can create that will make that whole experience mm. um, as engaging and entertaining for the for the person watching as possible. Interesting. So where do you go from here? Are you, are you going to kind of double down on this space? Do you think it's got opportunity to grow, or uh, will you will you go back to doing live events as well? I think. <laughs> <laughs> or will you pivot back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll look. I think there's a short to medium term window for live stream, uh, for live streaming events. Certainly, I mean, for as long as um, the big events are not an option, and let's face it, you know, rooms full of eight, nine hundred people and concerts of thousands are still quite a long way, still mm. quite a long way away. Yeah. So I think. Um, as long as that scenario is in play, people will still people still want to reach their audience, don't they? Mm. People still want to reach, um, you know. So that they will gravitate towards live stream if that works for them. Mm. So I think the opportunity is there in this sort of short to medium term. Mm. Um, I think also though, when when we can go back to big events properly, then people will go back to big events. Yeah, I think people will. I think the. The one benefit is I think people will, there'll be a lot more live streaming. Mm. I think what this has done is made people realize that, you know, live streaming is a nice add-on um, for, a, for a big event. And there's some people who are doing it already. I mean, some of the big, um, some of the big, you know, music groups were doing it already. Like Live Nation. And these yeah, things, yeah, absolutely. They all, but again, they, it was very much a sort of just one camera at the back of the room sort of thing. Yeah. And I think now what this has done is opened it up to the possibilities of what it could be. Mm. Instead of just a camera at the back of the room, you could have had, you could roll in a five minute uh, pre-recorded segment of the of the venue being built up, yeah. uh, an exclusive interview with the band. Mm. You know, these are all things that you can only watch on the live stream, but you're not going to get. That's true. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. you can actually program it, plan it, and Absolutely. improve that experience. And I think that's that's the strength that we have coming from the, you know, obviously the production side is, mm. is, is like you say, it's programming, it's putting together, it is a program at the end of the day. That's mm. what you're putting together for someone is a program. Mm. Um, and I think that's what we've got. Yeah, that's yeah. what we've done for a long time. And are some of your clients are they charging for the streams that they do at Warehouse Four? Is there any of that yet? No, not yet. Um, I mean, that's not to say it won't, but so far, no, they're all uh, doing it for free. Mm. So I think you know, at the moment, because you know, brands can't interact with their consumers uh, in a live. Uh, event scenario they're looking for ways to yeah you so know, to engage me absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah and uh interesting so uh, where do you see uh, a price point do you think there's a demand for that and do you think in this region uh there are startups and technology to kind of provide that that you can partner with yeah there are um i mean there's i mean yeah i think look, the price the price thing is yeah i mean everybody's very sensitive about price at the moment mm. um I think you have to, I mean, I still struggle with it. You know, you, you kind of look at, you look at the briefs coming in and you're going, oh, okay, I wonder where they, I wonder what their budget is. You know, and we've had, we've had instances, for example, where they've been reluctant to give us a budget. Mm. Um, and then when we submitted a, uh, you know, a quote and what we want to do, they, they kind of come back and say, oh, well, we actually only have half of that. Mm. Uh, and the frustrating part of that is, well, if you told me that in the beginning, I would have just devised something that accommodates your budget. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's interesting. So you know the resources and equipment and time cost, but they haven't really 
done this before so they've no there's a lot of inexperience yeah Yeah, interesting and i think they're reluctant to i mean i don't know maybe it's yeah historically just reluctant to say what they've what they've got to spend uh, because well, I mean let's face it if I know you've got $100,000 I will write I'll spend $100,000 yeah. I won't come back to you and go, I've done this fantastic show for you it's yeah. only going to cost you 50 <laughs> yeah. you know you'll you're more than likely use up whatever budget yeah. you've given and you still can like you can and still, you still can but equally yeah. on the other side of that I mean I think look transparency is much better if you if you if you know if a client was to come back to me and said look we only have say $50,000 then clearly yeah. I'm not going to go out and and book, you know, 500 Valkyrie warriors to ride across the sunset. Mm. You don't have the budget for that. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, you then come up with ideas that, that will still give the client what they want, mm. um, but fit their budget. I was uh, reading about The Economist and they sent a, an invite to a live stream with Bill Gates out to their subscribers mm. and 44,000 people RSVP'd mm. and 27,000 people attended it. Mm. And, you know, that, that shows demand, doesn't it? It does, yeah, very much so. And yeah. is, is that something that, obviously, they couldn't just put Bill Gates on a, like this. You know, yeah, yeah, they obviously yeah. would need a partner like you to do it. So, you know, maybe it is in the short term and medium term, but there seems to be demand for this. There does. I mean, look I mean, look at what's been happening with the virtual events. And I'm not a massive fan of the virtual events. Mm. And by virtual, you know, I'm talking about, you know, lots of green screen, 3D sets. Yeah. Um, you know, people chroma keyed in front of amazingly 3D backgrounds. Okay. And I'm just like, yeah. Too much. Is there well, a it's here? just not necessary. I mean, okay. our approach is much more going back to um, television and have that and have that linear approach where, okay, you know, if you've got five or six, for example, panel speakers, I don't really need to see all six of them on screen when only one of them is talking. Mm. Why don't you just have the the one that's talking, um, yeah, talk full frame, yeah, when he's talking, and then just use the you know just use the shot of all six of them, yeah, uh, where necessary, yeah, where maybe the host is asking them a question, and then obviously come to the main guy when he's answering the question. Yeah. So that is a much more, for me, that's a much more sort of linear television approach than, okay. than having, you know, six heads in a little box all, a great, all against a wonderful 3D background yeah. sat there. I'm not a big fan of that. Interesting. And um, one other thing, obviously the US election happened this week and... Um, <laughs> still going. <laughs> still going. It's still happening. <laughs> it's still counting. But how do you, did you look at that from a production point of view of how the media has covered it and... Uh, I noticed one of the new media brands in the US, now this, that on Facebook they were live uh, for seven, eight hours, and most of the time they didn't have a presenter. They had two shots, one Mm. which was a feed, like a camera in the room, of a ballot box, Mm. and then obviously someone picking tweets to put alongside it, and it had engagement. so it's, it's fascinating how things change. It is. Look, I think at the end of the day, you know, you're only as good as your content, right? I mean, yeah. you can, and you, you look at your audience and, and what they want, uh, and there's many different ways to skin a cat, isn't there? Sure. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, the whole Oscars yeah. production, does it? It can be something as simple as, as what you've just described. I didn't see that, so I'm, I'm not familiar with that. So um, do you, but just on that line of things, do you think that there are opportunities to kind of do streaming for events, say in Dubai or New Year's in that way without it, without a, a big production and without, you know, presenters that there, there might be innovative ways to do live streams. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
maybe. No, no. I mean, there are again, but I think it comes down to again who you who you who you're aiming at, mm. you know, and then what are you going to offer them? Because mm. whatever you're going to offer them needs to be entertaining, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. again, go back to the same question I said at the beginning: Would you watch it? Okay. True. And I think if your answer is yeah, maybe. then okay, then why are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so something else on that, like where do you stand on adding kind of uh, the noise over the football games? And would you have, at your events, have you done fake claps for a pretend audience in the crowd? <laughs> I don't, no, I don't think we've done the fake claps yet. No, no, we haven't. But I think the football stuff is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, it adds, adds you know, to it. I totally I agree. To it, yeah. As I described, when it wasn't there, I really missed it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you kind of, and I've, very early on, I was, yeah. one of the questions I had was, I wonder if they're piping that in the stadium as well. And they are. No way. So the players hear that too. Ah, yeah. That's quite smart. Yeah, well, it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So it creates atmosphere. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that's across the board, but yeah. certainly certainly a lot of the clubs are doing that. Yeah. Well, so the players actually hear that too. They have the Tannoy systems and yeah. things like that. Um, would you ever, the, I'm going to ask about the plans for the future as well. Would you, if you have a pitch for a client and the client, an idea for a live event, is that something that you might put on yourself and uh, try and create an experience online as well? Yeah, I think, yeah, look, I mean, we're all, God, we're always coming up with ideas. I think okay. the, the the problem there is finding someone to pay for them. Yeah. Um, especially now when, when budgets are, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, paramount. Yeah, look, we, we're happy to pitch ideas. Yeah. Cool. So uh, finish up then, where do you kind of see uh, the events industry going? I don't know we already touched mm. about it, but do you think, uh, do you think that uh, there is going to be more of these live streams? Do you think that... Um, Warehouse 4 will be there for a live streaming event for the next 12 months, 18 months? Oof, look, I hope so. Uh, I mean, anybody in events right now, everybody in events right now is hurting. You know, yeah. events, hospitality. I mean, you know, certainly the events, we were the first to close and we're the last to open again. Um, I think it's challenging times, massively challenging. There are some people who will survive and there are some people that won't. For us at the moment, it's very much month to month. Mm. Um, it's very hard to predict at the moment um, if you know the volume of events. Certainly, uh, you know, I look at my calendar now for uh, for November, and we're nowhere near what we should be. Mm. Nowhere near, and this is supposed to be one of the busiest months. Mm. Um, I mean, hopefully, we'll have enough to get by. Um, but it's yeah, it's touch and go. It's, it's, it's really touch and go. Times. I think you look for. I, I take. I take heart from the fact that we're not a Dubai World Trade Center. Um, I think they have a specific uh, problem set in that they, obviously their whole business model is engaged around very large events. Mm. Um, and I think there is a, a real, well, there's probably 50% of the population at the moment who are just like, oh no, I'm not doing any of that. And then 50% who are like, ah, yeah. Mm. Interesting. So you've already got, you know, only half the market to aim for. Mm. And then, of course, you've got all the COVID restrictions in place as well, which dramatically uh, cuts the opportunity to to mm. make those those kind of those big big events mm. uh, viable. I think we're we're lucky in that we're a smaller venue, um, so at the moment now with social distancing, um, I think we can we can accommodate about seventy five. Mm. Um, and I see that as a bonus because I think people's budgets are going to be challenged for a long time. Yeah. I don't think they're necessarily going to be looking for super large events. And equally, the crisis committee, they don't approve events over certain numbers. So 
it's harder to get uh, permission. It, yeah, that's correct. I mean, look again. I mean, Dubai World Trade Center is kind of a, you know in its own little bubble there. In that, obviously, they've got a lot of a lot of very influential support. So, I mean, I, I look, don't take. I'm not sure if this is. But I, I think Jitex is going ahead. Yeah, some parts of it. I'm not sure how many people. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. So again, the numbers is always in question. But I mean, mm. historically, that's a huge event. Mm. Um, so I think there's the willing. There is the the willingness. I think to mm. get things going. Yeah, I think they want to, but obviously it has to be as yeah. safe as possible. Interesting. And Dubai has. And I think there's been a lot of focus on the ones that have gone ahead and world eyeballs in terms of how do you pull off these events? What mm. are the kind of uh, what are the rules and regulations in place mm. and do people feel safe? And luckily uh, here, especially that everything that's happened hasn't caused incidents and there's just been more and more. So it's gradually kind of improving. Yeah, I think so. I think, look, I think awareness is key as well. I mean, we still get, I mean, we've been getting phone calls from clients mm. um, saying, are you open for events? Can we do events? Mm. So I think, yeah, there's a, there's awareness is key. Yeah. Interesting. People aren't still aware that, you know, as of the 15th of September, you can go out and organize events. Yeah. Yes, there's restrictions. Yeah. Um, but you can actually have events. Yeah. And because your space is, uh, it's got good parking, it's in Alcuz, it's indoor. Mm. Uh, do you do better in the summer or this season or does it depend? Uh, we you can. Yeah, we do. We do okay during the summer. I mean, there is a tail off historically. I think there is for most businesses. Mm. Um, less so now. I've noticed them when I arrived, sort of eighteen years ago. I mean, mm. summer was right. Let's we'll go home then. <laughs> Come back in three months. Um, thankfully, yeah. you know, there is business continuing throughout those months now. But I, yeah. we do see a tail off. We do yeah. see a tail off. Cool. And what's your view on the on the region? Like you've been here a long time, you must mm. know it quite well. Would you be after COVID? Would you be bullish on on the Middle East as an emerging market, or uh, or it's all up in the air? Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a very. Uh, do you know what? I don't know if I look outside of my own little yeah. ecosystem enough to to be qualified to answer that. I. Uh, look, you've got to you've got to applaud Dubai's optimism. Um, and the way that they're trying to push uh, both tourism, obviously now, and trying to get keep the businesses going. Mm. I mean, you know, you look at the UK, for example, this week, and they're just headed into another lockdown. I mean, touch wood, we're not heading that way yeah. here. Um, so again, I think we're back to them wanting to do all the right things. Mm. Um, but oh, it's a horrible position to be in, isn't it? How do you balance, you know, health and economy? Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, how do you, you make the choice? Yeah, yeah you, you wouldn't want. I, I wouldn't want to be in that. that. I mean, yeah. you do all be damned if you don't yeah. do enough one way, you get hammered. Yeah, if you don't do enough another way, you're going to get hammered. That's true. Um, but yeah. I think I, I would, you know, I would say we, they've done a good job. Here, they've I done think, a good so, job to date. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we all seem happy enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, look, it's far from it's far from rosy. Yeah, uh, I think that's Absolutely. you know, every, everybody's aware of that. These mm. are extremely tough times. Mm. You know, the number of I, I think you know the cut through um, in the economy from the effects of COVID this time is far, far, far deeper than it was, say, two thousand eight and two thousand nine. Really, do you think so? Oh, massively. I yeah, mean, you know, two thousand eight and two thousand nine got rid of a lot of the sort of riffraff. Um, mm. Fly by nights, mm. but um, this time around, you're seeing some some long established players just mm. just Crumbling, either yeah. not being able to continue or not wanting to or both. Just looking at the you know just weighing it up and going, 
yeah you know what it's time to go home yeah and com- and thanks for being transparent and commending you to for pivoting and for <laughs> yeah. keeping this going and it's great to have you know they talk a lot in the industry at the moment about experience because a lot of young people get chances over uh, experienced people I was mm. going to use a different word but yeah. <laughs> but it's great it's great for people to hear of where experience in the future you can lean back on so well done yeah, very fortunate. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not complaining at all. It's okay. uh, yeah, it's keeping the it's keeping the food on the table. Cool. And I have a few things to pick your brain on as well. Right. Because so so we'll take that off air. Thanks very much for coming on. Ian. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.